I'm going to start off, I'm going to actually read a psalm uh, for us to start us off. It's Psalm 133. It says this. It says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. We're talking about how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Unity, it's defined as a whole or a state of oneness. It's the quality or state of not being multiple. All right, and so we're going to talk about unity this morning. And, and in this psalm, they use two analogies that probably mean absolutely nothing to us. I'm going to kind of break them down. It looks like uh, it's using beard oil, which I, I'm a little jealous because I grow facial hair like an eighth grader. And um, some of you who can grow it, I'm jealous, but it's all good. Uh, but he used, uh, it comes from this thing of Acts 29. It's when Aaron was anointed the priest uh, and right before, as the, they were building the tabernacle, it, its oil was significant uh, in just multiple analogies of, of different things. It, it symbolized God's presence. It symbolized the Holy Spirit. It sim- symbolized this idea of being set apart. And, and as this oil was being poured over Aaron, this idea of unity between God's people, it's, it's like it's, it is, it saturates. It's not just a little bit. It goes into all parts of our lives. It, it has a, had a fragrance, fragrance to it. it, had this idea it should touch and scent every relationship among the people of God. And then second, this dew of Hermon probably means absolutely nothing to us, but Hermon was the highest peak in that area. They, they were kind of surrounded by this desert, and this mountain of Hermon, or Mount Hermon, right, it was known for its heavy dew, right? It's where they get Mountain Dew. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know that, but... Um, some of you got the joke. All right. Uh, anyway, but this dew from Hervin, it was so, it was so thick and, and it would it create and actually it would flow down uh, the mountain. That's actually how they got moisture to even grow plants. Like the, the, even their livelihood depended on this, this dew on top of this mountain to flow down. And it was like, uh, it, it just symbolized this hope and expectation of, of flourishing. Uh, of this idea when people, God's people live in unity, it's, it's a flourishing. Um, and this is like, again, to show a picture of what life is like when, when God's people are unified. My translation, it says, it's delightfully good uh, when God's people are in unity. And this is kind of the whole point of some of the series that we're on and come together. It comes from this verse from Acts 4 where the entire group of believers came together and they were united as one. And a couple of weeks ago when I introduced it, we began just even just wrestling with this question of why church? Why do we, why, why, what, what is even church supposed to look like? And, uh, and the, the premise of this and the whole, the whole series is, right, we get to put the beauty of Jesus on display. That we get to tell a story about who Jesus is within a community. That we can't tell this story uh, silo. That, that those who've decided to follow Jesus, to be a, a disciple or a follower of Jesus, it is a, a personal thing. It's an invitation that Jesus gives all of us. Come, follow me, and I'll make you uh, fishers of men. But immediately when you said yes to Jesus, he puts you with the people. 
right? He puts you with others. And, and through these people, right, we get to tell a story. Um, and so in the, in, the, in the New Testament, that's referred to as the church. And 95%, when, it, when, when the New Testament talks about the church, it's talking about the local expression of people gathering together, right? That's part of the, just even this word church. It means this assembly of people, these called people for a purpose. And so we're going to talk through that. But the problem is, right, we've all probably experienced disunity, right? Some of us have probably experienced some of that, that delightfully goodness of when God's people are together. But I'm sure with this size of room, we've all experienced in some aspect what it's like in disunity, in both in church expressions, probably in our families, our relationships. What would the psalm say, right, how blank it is when God's people live in disunity. What word, what word would you put in there? We've probably all experienced some aspect of that. Maybe it's been hurt. Maybe it's been disorienting. Maybe it's disheartening. When God's people live in disunity. And the question then we're going to talk about this morning is, so how do we, how do we choose to reflect one aspect of that and not the other? Uh, it was great having Ellie here talking about her just YWAM experience and her DTS experience uh, 12 years ago, I got to do uh, DTS through YWAM in Costa Rica, and uh, even this week, I pulled out my little handy-dandy thing of notes and things that I had from this trip, um, and uh, man, that was this example of a, just a delightfully goodness uh, season of my life, where I was with 30-some people, the very diverse background uh, from 19-year-olds who just got out of high school to a family in their 40s who are moving from Alaska to become full-time missionaries. There's people from Europe, from all different parts of Central America. To be honest, I don't even remember what individuals' like theological beliefs were, right? But there was just this unity that we all had. Didn't mean we did had, didn't have disagreements and arguments and annoying each other. Like, I was in like four bunk beds. It was like worse than college dorms, all right? and uh, eating lots of rice and beans, all right? Let you go with that where you want. But, um, but it was an experience of delightfully goodness. And uh, it was five months. We did outreach. We went to different places. Uh, but then I came back from that. And uh, within a few months, I interned at a church. And within two weeks of that experience, that church split. Um, and uh, I'm not going to go into, I'm not going to be judgmental, I'm not going to go into it, but I know for everybody who was even in a part of that, that disunity, nobody enjoyed it. It was disheartening, it was uh, disorienting, it was hurtful. And even for myself, I'm like, I just came from this beautiful place and where there was much diversity, um, yet ex- like extreme unity. And here I am with a lot of, uh, everybody looks the same, come from similar backgrounds, yet there was disunity. And so the question then we're going to ask this morning is, as we talk about unity, especially within the local context of the church, how do we experience the delightfully goodness of unity? How do we put the brilliance of Jesus on display specifically within this church body? And I'm just going to just understand, uh, even some, for people, for some of you who've maybe even experienced some hurt, like by me even being the lead pastor of just like talking about unity, it's like red flag because it's like this idea, right? Because sometimes unity is, could even be manipulated into silence and conformity, right? Some people use it as a way to say either to silence or you need to conform. 
and there's a different way, right? There should be great diversity amongst our unity. And so if you, even if you're like, wait, you're the lead pastor, um, why are you talking about unity? Is there something happening, right? It's, it's really to show the way of Jesus because I feel like Jesus wants to show uh, and tell a story that we, we need to have great unity in but also have diversity. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians 4. Um, Ephesians 4, and then we'll eventually go to Romans 12, but uh, we're going to start out in Ephesians 4. Just like most of Paul's uh, letters, he's, he spends the first chunk of uh, the letter um, just talking about the story of what God's done for us, what Jesus has done for us. This is the story of Jesus because Jesus died and, and resurrected. This is what we get to have. And then he spends the second half of the letter, okay, this is how you live that story out. And just like most of Paul's letters, too, he's usually addressing some kind of division or some kind of disunity in the church. So just even reading Acts 2 and 4, right, there is a lot of great stories of the early church putting Jesus on display. Like, they're selling their stuff. Like, their house is our house. Their possessions is our possessions. Like, my land, it's our land. And even it has this crazy phrase. It says, there was not a needy person among them, right? How beautiful that is in this story of the early church. But if you also read the early church, there's also some stories of pretty, of great division. I'm going to list just a few. There's folks getting drunk during communion, like it's like a high state tailgate. Like they're, they're just having at it. They're, they're like showing up early. They're drinking all the wine and getting drunk to where people can't participate. You got incest. There's racism. There's division over circumcision or not. There's division over spiritual gifts. There's even things of ignoring the poor. There's all these other stories that Paul addresses. And even Eugene Peterson, he's the one who translated the message, even concluded as he, as he did the whole Bible that he can't find a successful church community that was like had arrived. Every church community was in progress. There was no perfect church community. That's a different sermon. But anyway... We're going to jump in here in Ephesians 4. It says, therefore, therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. I'm going to just stop right there real quick. Paul says urge. It's like this exhortation. He's told us to walk, all right? Most of this is walk means like how to conduct your life. And worthy of what you've been called. Even that word called, uh, I'm going to put this on the screen. If you remember a couple weeks ago when I even broke down the word ecclesia, this is the word we get from church. It's ek plus kaleo. This word calling is that same word, right? This is, so he's telling this church, remember your calling. Remember what we've called you to. You've been called from something and to something. You have a purpose. And Paul's going to outline what that calling is. And you're going to see this calling word over and over again. He says this, again, read it again. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Right? There is one body, right? One spirit. There is oneness. There's a state of wholeness. When you say yes to Jesus, you go from a state of autonomy uh, to yourself to, to uh, uh, one of multiples or unity. 
Again, sometimes I think we think unity is this status that we are like, it's off the horizon. We have to work towards, and one day we will arrive at unity. But, but the language here is the word to keep. It actually means to watch over, to protect, meaning we already have it. We already have a unity. So if you just look around real quick, just look at people, random people, smile, all right? Hopefully, yeah, all right? We're here, right, because we have, we're unified on one thing, right? We're, we're here because of Jesus, right? Because of Jesus, we're, I, don't, I just don't think we just randomly show up in rooms like this, right? But we're here because of Jesus. We have a unity. Jesus has given it to us. If you follow Jesus, this is the reality. And, and, the, and Paul is urging, we either can reflect that unity uh, in such a way in how we live our lives and how we treat one another, or we can choose not to reflect that unity, does that make sense? One commentator said this uh, on Ephesians. Uh, his name is Francis Fulcus. said, it's, unity is, needs to be seen as the gift of God. It was made possible by the cross of Christ and is made effective by the working of the Spirit of God. Us humans cannot themselves create unity. It's given to us. But our responsibility is to keep it, to guard it, in the face of many attempts from either within or from without the church to take it away. We are to be eager to maintain the unity. So kind of, well, the one point here, this unity, experiencing this delightfully goodness of God is not just the status we try to achieve. It's a gift that we've been entrusted and our job is to maintain and protect it. Does that make sense? It's our job to maintain and protect it. So I don't have these plants just for no purpose, all right? Luckily, I forgot them, and my son grabbed them for me this morning. So it's almost like we've been given this, right, this plant. We're getting close to gardening season, and my wife's already like, Johnny, when are you going to till the garden? She's like ready to get after it. Um, but it's, it's garden season, right? And if I leave this here, just up here, what's going to happen? It's going to die, right? It's not going to have, it's not going to measure, it's not going to grow into what it's capable of, Right? But if I, take, if I take this, and I take it out, and I'm going to make a mess, and it's going to be awesome. My kids make messes all the time. Now I get to make a mess, right? And if I take this little plant, right, and I plant it, right, and I protect it, and I guard it, and I feed it, and I nurture it, what, it has the capability of, of producing fruit, right? We've, I've, I'm... Um, and even as this word says, it, it, it says you need to be diligent. You need to like really work hard at making sure you give everything that this thing needs so in order it can grow and have the capacity of what it was designed for. But the reality is I can't just make, this is a pepper, pepper plant by the way, I can't just make peppers, right? It, it's been entrusted in me, I've been given a responsibility to see to it that it grows in what it's capable of. I'm just going to set it there. Yes. Some of your farmers are like, oh my gosh. Anyway, so here we go. We've, we've, whether we realize it or not, we've been entrusted with this, right, as a church. But this is the same thing uh, with our marriages, right? If you think about it, God says what, what, what he has brought together, right, let no man separate. This this miracle of oneness, our families, these relationships. We've all been entrusted with some, some kind of unity, right? And it's our responsibility to maintain, to keep over it. And when we do, then it can grow in, in capacity to do that. So Paul then goes, like, how do we do that? How do we 
how do we nurture it? How do we water it? How do we protect it? So he says, Paul lists four things. He says what? With all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. He says making every effort to keep or to watch over, to protect the unity that we've, that's been given to us. So I'm going to highlight those four things, these four virtues that Paul says is, is, is crucial in order to protect this. You can't, if you don't have these four things, it's not going to grow. He says this, humility or lowliness of mind. What's interesting about humility is to the Greeks, which is the original language of the New Testament, to the Greek culture, humility was not a virtue right? To them, as indeed to even most non-Christian people in any generation, the concept of the fullness of life left no room for humility. Does that make sense? Like, if you even think about how our, I mean, some of the things, right? There's no room for humility. This idea of putting yourself, putting others above yourself, uh, just doesn't make sense. But in Jesus, lowliness or humility became a virtue. His life and death and service was an embodiment of this idea of humility. Even if Philippians 2 says he even humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Humility is crucial to this. Gentleness, or even it comes from the similar word meekness. Meekness, it's the spirit of one who is so absorbed in seeking some worthy goal for the common good that he refuses to be deflected or distracted or hindered. It's this idea of meekness or gentleness. There's patience. It properly, it means long passion. It's waiting sufficient time before expressing anger. This avoids the premature use of force. Uh, retribution arises out of improper anger. It's just, it literally means a slowness in avenging wrong. And then lastly, there's forbearance, meaning bearing with one another, to hold up with or to bear with. Literally, it can mean to not quit on somebody. It's the act, practical outward, outworking of long-suffering. One uh, theologian's style, is his name, says, it's a mutual tolerance without which no group of human being can live together in peace. This idea of bearing with one another. These are these four things. And if you remember, or if you don't, if you don't, don't remember, that's okay. Uh, in Ephesians 3, at the very end, right before uh, this, Paul says, right, his prayer is that we would be, what, rooted and grounded in his love, right? So these are these four expressions of love. It's, we are taking this uh, gift we've been entrusting, we're, we're rooting, Paul's prayer in, in 3 is being rooted in love, and these four things are these virtues, these expressions of what that love looks like. And so when we do that, if we, if we, we embody these four things, because I think we understand the, the opposites of these. Like what's the opposite of humility? Pride, right? Can you see how pride, what's that gonna do to our plant? It's not gonna let it grow. It's gonna snuff it out, right? Gentleness. What's the opposite of gentleness? Harsh, right? What's that gonna do to our plant? If we're harsh with one another, if we're not patient, if we easily quit on each other, right? Is it going to have the ability or capacity to grow in what it's designed and made for? So if we do this, if we see this, this unity as a gift, right, that's been given to us to protect and to maintain it in love, 
the way of Jesus through humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance, right, it has now the ability to grow and it bear fruit, right? Because here's the thing. I told you it was a pepper. I could show you that it's a pepper, right? But what if I did that with this plant and I planted it and it, and it grew and three months from now, there's what, peppers on it? It, you guys would know it's a pepper plant by what? It's fruit, right? And here's this ability. When we do this, when we, we do this, we maintain it, we protect it. It, it has this, an, this ability to grow, bear the fruit that it is, and it gets to reflect what this gift is. And the reality is, when we do this, when we, we are patient with one another, we, we bear with one another, we don't quit on each other, we, we're humble, always looking for ways to put others above ourselves. Uh, we are meek and gentle with one another. Now we can, it points back to what actually unites us, doesn't it? Right? That we're, we're united because of Jesus. Like that's the thing that holds us all together. And so when we, we do this, it then becomes a reflection of, just even John 13 said, right? For they will know that you're my disciples by what? Your love for one another becomes this fruit that people get to taste what we're all about. My hope and prayer is that people don't know us by a bumper sticker or a status or a shared verse or whatever. My hope and my prayer is they would know us as a body of Christ that reflects what brings us together, the hope and the love of Jesus that people would say, man, do you see how they love one another? You see how they take care of one another, how they put each other uh, first, how they, this becomes a safe place that you'd want to come and intend to because it's delightfully good, right? When we taste and experience what Jesus is all about. So, I preached a little bit there. All right. So how do we actually do this? So obviously it's an embodiment of four virtues, but how do we actually live this out? So I'm going to read uh, just as an application. I'm going to read uh, Romans 12. For sake of time, I'm just going to read off of here. All right. It says this, Romans 12, 9 through 18. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Just like family, right? Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, I think this is a key part here, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So he's kind of taking these four things. You see kind of even some of the similar similarities um, from Ephesians 4 of how to embody this, how do we do this. And I'm going to put three things. As I took through this, I was even praying about this morning, and I felt like um, the Lord gave me three things from this passage that I think we can actually do, especially when we experience both in times of disunity but also just in regular times. The first one is prayer, being persistent in prayer, being in this context, it says, be fervent in the spirit. 
So what prayer does is even as this idea of, of, of communing with God through the Spirit, the Spirit always leads us to what? Oneness, right? It's, it's this way of, of doing it. We, we can't have unity without the Spirit. And so we need regular times where we're praying both for our, these relationships, praying for our church, praying for whatever your marriage, praying for your family, your friends. It's this prayer uh, in this, uh, with the Spirit. So the goal is awareness. So if you've ever, uh, I don't know much about plants, but one of the ways we know how to, how to care for a plant is we can see signs, right, of if it, the leaves start turning yellow, it means, I don't know, something that needs either water or it's low in acidity or something, right? But there's ways we become aware of the, just how well that plant is doing. And so for us, when we pray, we become aware of some things either we may have done to contribute to maybe the disunity of that plant or even just become aware of what maybe some actions people have done to the plant. Does that make sense? So Part of this prayer is, is the, the Lord speaks to us. The Spirit leads us and shows us where we've gone wrong and even when somebody else has gone wrong. That happens, right? People do things. You do things that affect the plant. So, which leads us to, to the one thing, having hard conversations, right? We have some options when, I'm going to use this plant because it's actually in the place, Right? And I think this is a great analogy, right? Uh, whether it's in your marriage or in this church, right? There's some things, some actions or behaviors that you feel like hurting the plant. Well, the reality is then you can, you can just leave and go get a new plant, right? Or you could say, hey, when you did this, this impacted this gift that we've been given. We use I statements, right? And saying, hey, when this didn't. But then there's reality when we experience disunity. I've done some things that have contributed to this. So it's being aware of those things. And so the key to this is forgiveness. Hard conversations allows us to go acknowledge and humility ways in which we've fallen short because we're all going to fall short. We're all going to contribute in a way to bring disunity, whether we intentionally do it or not, right? So having some hard conversations. It's recognizing when there's just disunity of here's how I contributed to this disunity, but also communicating and confronting in a, in, in a gentle way and a meek way that says, hey, this behavior impacted our relationship, our unity. And then the third thing is a positive. It's a, like the, having hard conversations when you experience disunity. The positive is this idea of always honoring one another, right? As I was looking back on my DTS thing here, there's several instances of this where... Um, we were, we were told to, like, give words to each other, give encouraging words to each other, giving prophetic words to each other. And, man, I kept some of these. I put this in this notebook. And even just as I was reading it, um, man, it just built me up. Like, it was just encouraging, just seeing some of the things um, that people, like, just spoke over me. They just honored me. They affirmed me. Um, and we just had these moments where we do that with each other. And that's, again, one of these ways that, as a church, we can continue to do that, to, to maintain and, and to, to help nurture this gift we've been giving is just continually encouraging and affirming and honoring one another over and over again. Just saying, hey, I saw you do this. I'm going to celebrate that. You're, that was awesome. We need that as a church. Just always that recognition and that honor. And I think if we do those three things, I know that seems like a lot, but at least those three things will lead us into a place uh, where we can experience uh, good fruit if we become like that. 
So this week, I want you to just do that. I want you to spend some time praying. Even as a, as a church, we're going to do that this evening, a part of our prayer exercises as a church. We're going to do some prayer exercise. We're going to use this as a way uh, to even help plan the fall of 2022 to 2023. So even we did this last year, this is one of the reasons why we're even doing this series. It came out of this prayer exercise, praying for our church. Um, and so we're going to do that again this evening um, at our Seek Together. But I would just encourage you, in one of those things, either pray, uh, just even, uh, I'd encourage you, pray for our church. Um, pray for those relationships. Pray for your marriage. Uh, if you need to, if the Lord prompts you, have a hard conversation, right? And, and just come with it and, and gentleness and curiosity and, uh, and let that, again, nurture it. And then I would choose to honor somebody, affirm somebody in just a simple way, right? Hey, I see this in you. That's such a great strength through our church. We, we need that. We just need to call out those things, right, in each other. I'm going to end this quote here because the reality is we're still going to have disagreements. The goal is, is not to have less disagreements. I think if we do this, we probably will have more disagreements. It's just reality. Like if, we, if we're honest, right, there's going to be things you may see in me or things as a church, and the reality is we need to develop these conversations, these things where we bring things to light. So much of, of what the enemy wants to do to destroy is keep things in the dark, doesn't he? Just to keep those things that have happened to us and, and let it just fester in us, and, and then it grows bitter, and, and then, uh, then we just, let's, let's go somewhere else. But the reality is this probably is going to lead to even more disagreements. The reality is what we're going to do in the midst of those disagreements, right? It's going to tell whether we, we, we give it the space to grow fruit or not. Tim Keller has this great quote that I'm going to put up here. Um, he says this. I can't find it in my notes because I moved it. Oh, here it is. If we were able to say, I disagree with you, but I agree with you on what is truly important, you are my brother and sister, and we will serve and worship together, then we would model a much-needed picture of unity and of Christ-like love. Reality is this. This is just like this. It's messy. Um, having a garden is messy. Creating some fence and protecting, it gets a little messy. But if we follow the way of Jesus, we, we eagerly seek to maintain and protect. We, we do this out of love. We, we're humble and we're, we show humility. We do it with meekness and gentleness. We do it um, with patience and, not, and bearing with one another. My hope and, and prayer is then this becomes a much-needed picture of hope for the world. It tells the story of the goodness of who Jesus and God is.